welcome to Little Yo Pod, the All Things Yosemite podcast. I'm Laura Jackson, a Yosemite interpretive guide who has lived and worked in the park since 2004. And I'm here to bring you stories and features of Yosemite and the Sierra Nevada that I have found compelling in my time living and working there. Well, here we are, three weeks of social distancing and at least another three to go. But who knows what will change in the next week or even in the next hour. All we can do is wait to see what happens next. Every day during this time, I think about what may be lost. But this time also reminds me of what we have already lost. This planet is full of strange and beautiful life that has evolved to its highest potential. We are in a perfect time when everything that has made it this far has had to be the strongest and most resilient of its species. And that goes for us too. But while it seems we are living in our own survival story now, we are not the only ones, not by far. In 2019, the United Nations reported a very troubling figure. One million species are poised for extinction in the next few decades due to the high-impact living conditions created by our species. That figure and timeline really shook me. I knew the repercussions of how we lived, but I didn't realize how quickly we were going to see the devastation unfold. It's one thing to witness the tragedy of polar ice caps and glaciers melting away, but to try to fathom the planet minus one million species before the end of my lifetime was heartbreaking. Even still, my life didn't change much even after receiving that news. I like to think I lead a fairly low-impact life. Um, Of course, there's always room for improvement for me, as I'm sure there is with all of us. But when I hear one million species, I can't picture that. It's just too big. It's like trying to imagine the three to four hundred billion stars in the Milky Way. Those figures are just too abstract for me to wrap my head around. But if amateur astronomy taught me anything, it taught me this. You don't need to know everything as much as you need to know at least one thing. When I can focus on one thing, I can take ownership of that and I can take action. This week's episode is a lesson on the consequences of one thing. It's about interconnection, adaptation, and sacrifice. Our story begins in the high elevation lakes of the Sierra Nevada, pristine alpine lakes fed by glaciers and snowmelt support a diverse ecosystem of plants, birds, insects, and amphibians. The mountain yellow-legged frog reigned supreme in the lakes and streams of the high country, but their reign was soon to come to an end as new ideals and opportunities drew more people to the mountains of California. It's no surprise that after living in Yosemite for 15 years and hiking hundreds of miles in the Sierra Nevada, that I'd never seen a mountain yellow-legged frog. And it's not surprising because the frog 
was endangered when I moved to Yosemite in 2004. Yet the frogs were the most abundant amphibian species in the lakes of the High Sierra before major settlement began in California. The yellow-legged frog is a large, larger amphibian, larger frog, about the size of a human hand, maybe the palm of a human hand. Their backs are mottled dark brown and black, like a cryptic camouflage, and they have a yellow tinge on their bellies and legs. They were the apex predator in high-elevation lakes and streams, but in less than 100 years, the yellow-legged frog population has declined by 95%, and they were put on the endangered species list. So how does such a prolific species decline so rapidly? One theory is that the frog population started dwindling with the introduction of non-native fish. Until the last 160 years, the glacier and snow-fed lakes in the High Sierra where the frogs lived did not contain fish. None. Fish couldn't travel upstream from Yosemite Valley to the high country because the waterfalls, some of them, are thousands of feet tall. <laughs> so fish aren't able to swim uh, <laughs> up steep waterfalls. So they were limited to Yosemite Valley, and that was uh, rainbow trout, Yosemite Valley, and further west of there. So establishing parts of the Sierra Nevada for recreation is what brought fish to the high country for the first time. Beginning as early as the, or I guess as late as the 1860s, as early as 1860s, non-native trout were hiked in, then packed in on mules. And after World War II, they were actually dropped from airplanes into the lakes. So the fish that survived the fall from an airplane <laughs> took over... <laughs> took over the lakes and they ate the frogs they ate the juvenile frogs they ate the tadpoles they ate the eggs they ate pretty much everything in sight in the early 1900s scientists began to discover that trout or fish and frogs did not naturally exist in the same habitat both perform as dominant predators in their native habitat but the two do not typically coexist still Knowing that, stocking high country lakes in Yosemite Valley continued until the early 1990s, and the population of the yellow-legged frog was declining up until then. A massive effort took place to remove the fish from the lakes of the Sierra Nevada, but the effort was met with much opposition from recreational fishermen. So I met a ranger who was working on fish removal in the evolution range of the Sierra Nevada. That's on the eastern side uh, of the mountain range. And he had been out for several weeks uh, recovering gill nets that had been put into lakes to remove the fish. I won't go into the specifics of that process because it is horrifying. But what he told me was equally as disturbing. The nets that had been placed to remove the fish had themselves been removed. And they were just pulled up on the shore and left there. So it's supposed that fishermen were sabotaging the operation after the Forest Service personnel left the nets in the lakes. 
I couldn't believe it. But the fish weren't even the largest issue affecting the frogs any longer. The frogs had become infected with a deadly disease that was decimating their population. It wasn't until 2001 that this disease, what was called uh, chytrid fungus, was discovered in the lakes of the Sierra Nevada, but it is believed that disease arrived in the 1970s. It's a fungus, so it affects the mouths of tadpoles and they can't eat, and, and it affects the skin of adult frogs, and that interferes with the frog's ability to breathe and osmoregulate, and these are functions performed through the skin. Now, chytrid fungus does not occur in the United States or in North America, naturally. Uh, It was brought here. And a carrier for the disease um, is the African clawed frog, which were heavily imported to the United States during the 1930s and 1940s for medical medical research and um, for pregnancy testing, actually. So it was found that Injecting a female African clawed frog with the urine from a pregnant woman produced a positive test result if the frog laid eggs. And this was a very accurate test and a huge improvement over (laughs) the old way of testing for pregnancy, which was to inject a rabbit (laughs) with, I believe, with the urine from a pregnant woman. But the rabbit wouldn't make it after that. The frogs, the frog got to stay alive (laughs) um in fact uh one of the ways that a a woman announced her pregnancy was she would say the rabbit died it's just so sad (laughs) for me especially because i have rabbits and i i like them (laughs) so ept or the early pregnancy test what you can buy in drugstores today thank goodness took the place of the frog test in 1972. And that was around the same time that the chytrid fungus arrived in the Sierra Nevada. The African clawed frogs were no longer needed for testing, and a lot of them were released um, or sold as pets. And eventually, these frogs made their way into the streams, rivers, and lakes uh, in the lowlands lowlands of California and in the Central Valley, where anglers may have picked up the fungus on their fishing equipment and inadvertently brought the fungus to the lakes and streams of the Sierra Nevada in search of fish that were non-native or that weren't supposed to even be there in the first place. So now, although we can't be certain that this was the first introduction, this is a, a highly probable scenario, at least in my opinion. Today, scientists in National Park and forest rangers are working to... Uh, remove the fish, and eradicate the fungus. The fish, if the task is not sabotaged, that's one thing. It's a fairly straightforward project. But the fungus, the disease, is it's not that simple. Now, as we have learned recently, combating an aggressive well, virus, in our case, or a disease, is a major challenge. And they were losing the battle. Scientists had all but given up hope for the frogs and they watched helplessly as this once integral part of the Sierra ecosystem just continued to disappear rapidly. But then something amazing happened. The frog population actually started to come back 
While the frogs have little to no defense against the fish, some of them have adapted to survive the fungus. Many yellow-legged frogs testing positive for chytrid fungus are today surviving and even thriving. So the frogs evolved resistance to the deadly disease, at least the ones that were left. Researchers, upon this discovery, they've been collecting the frogs and uh, making sure they were testing positive for the fungus. And then they're translocating them to different parts of the Sierra Nevada and incorporating them into lakes and streams where the fish have successfully been removed. And if my recent sighting of a yellow-legged frog is any indication, I would say that their effort is proving successful. I cannot even begin to express how hopeful and excited this makes me. Saving yellow-legged frogs from extinction did not come without its complications, and it's far from over. We still have a lot of work to do. Removing fish from the high country, for one thing, is not a popular decision, and I really try to empathize with that loss. But doing what's right is not always popular, and of course, doing what's popular is not always right. We make decisions every day, individually and as a community. And like it or not, those decisions have an impact on everything around us. Even something as simple as foregoing a plastic drinking straw or investing in reusable bottles, reusable coffee mugs, and cutlery, when multiplied per individual, could make a huge difference in the amount of waste we produce and decrease unnecessary use of resources and energy. Change is never easy. Putting things back together takes work and sacrifice. The yellow-legged frog is just one of many species at risk in the Sierra Nevada, but every species is at risk without our cooperation. Even if we don't agree on everything, and I know many of you will not agree with me on this, I hope we can at least agree that decreasing our footprint on the planet would certainly do more good than harm. Could we sacrifice some of our own comfort and change a few habits so that another species may survive another 100 years or more? I know we could. So the next time you're trekking in the Sierra Nevada, keep your eyes peeled for the mountain yellow-legged frog. And if you spot one, you will know that you have just met one of the most resilient species on this planet. And that is pretty cool. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of Little Yopod, the All Things Yosemite podcast. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss a future episode. I know rating and reviewing is not possible on all platforms. I've heard that from several people. So if that's the case, I just ask that you please tell a friend about this podcast. If you want to tell two or three friends, I'm not going to complain. It really helps to reach a wider audience and ensure future episodes. Um, Check the show notes for this episode for links to resources I used while researching yellow-legged frogs. Um, The resources include a great video from a series on YouTube called Yosemite Nature Notes. And Yosemite Nature Notes is by far and away one of my favorite resources for Yosemite and it's a great way to stay connected to the park during this difficult time. If you're looking for a way to exercise some creativity, 
Uh, and if you have a story you would like to share in a future episode of Little Yo Pod, or if you have a suggestion for a future episode, you can email me at littleyopod at gmail.com. I'll have a link for that in the show notes. Um, or you can reach me on the Little Yo Pod Facebook page. If you're on Facebook, you can just search for Little Yo Pod and it should be the first thing that pops up. And um, you can like that page if you want updates as the podcast releases. This week's fun fact is that a group of frogs is called an army. <laughs> so watch out. <laughs> or the army's going to come and get you. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Little Yo Pod. Be sure to join me next week for another installment of Campfire Stories. Until then, I'm Laura Jackson. Thanks for listening and have a beautiful day.